0: All right, well, good evening, and we'll begin with the uh, Book of James tonight. That's where I'm at. It's just a, a one-topic kind of message, and uh, we've been looking at... Um, last week, we looked at praying, praying for the lost, and uh, tonight, I just was thinking about this, and we're, we're kind of in the... Well, spring is in sight, but not quite, you know, and you get in the winter doldrums, and I, I think of the... Uh, spiritually, you can kind of get in the winter doldrums as well. Uh, you, you kind of get stuck in your walk, or at least I'm talking from personal experience. Uh, and occasionally you just need a little jump start. Come to the book of James. It's one of those books that does that to you. Uh, it should anyways. And my father-in-law always says about the book of James, he wished he could cut it out of his Bible because uh, it's so convicting sometimes. And But there's a section here. I just want to look at James 4, 6 to 10, and look at six different things in here that kind of give us a little boost in the middle of winter here. But he gives more grace, therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep, and let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Lord, we are uh, just mindful that tonight, as we come to this passage of Scripture, I pray, Lord, you would use it to help us in our own spiritual walk. Thank you, Lord, for these simple words that were given so many years ago and are still so practical today. And I ask, Lord, now that you would just open them to our hearts tonight and help us to receive them with gladness. In Jesus' name, amen come to the first section there and uh, James writes and he says he gives more grace and therefore he says God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. I was thinking about that in the last uh, well season of football of course the big topic was take a knee right and uh, lots of people taking a knee in protests and those kind of things and the Lord says instead of protesting really what he's saying here is that we ought to humble ourselves and So it's good advice to take a knee, but make sure it's pointed in the right direction as far as the attitude of humility. And I I think that's what we need. D.L. Moody used to put it this way. He would say, Lord, make me humble and don't let me know about it. And that's a good way to pray, I think. Sometimes we need to pray for humility, but at the same time say, Lord, don't let me know about it. Because as soon as you know about it, then you can pride yourself, right? And uh, begin to pat yourself on the back, think I finally arrived. And of course, pride comes in just that quick, doesn't it? But help me to be humble, but don't let me know about it. Uh, too many people today, I think, are exercising their their decisions in life solely out of, you know, really selfish motives and pride. For the Christian, that is not the way, and sometimes we operate that way, but it is not the way we're intended to operate we're to operate always realizing we're a servant of the Lord first and foremost. doesn't matter what position you hold somewhere, how much money you might have or how much influence you might have, but that's that's what we are. Um, I was thinking of the death of Billy Graham and the life of Billy Graham as he died today and certainly a, a man that uh, lived a long, full life and influenced a lot of people. Uh, they estimate just at his his rallies alone... And you know the Crusades, as he put it, you know when he would evangelize, he there was about 200 and I think he said 15 million people over the years that heard the gospel from uh, the mouth of Billy Graham. And one thing I appreciate about, appreciated about him, and again God is the judge, is that he seemed to be a man that just was very humble in his uh, throughout his life. He could sit down and talk with presidents and pray with them and share the gospel with them and yet he would be on airplanes and he would stop and take time to talk to the uh, the mom who was a down and out and a, or a dad or a, such another fellow traveler, uh, someone who had no necessarily, you know, influence to speak of that you would know of, except he took the time to do that, and I think that's good, and uh, it was something that came across in his ministry in his life, and I just say that not only to honor the man, but he had a great impact in I think in ways that we won't even understand fully, uh, as well as others that certainly we less known people. And one thing that was, I remember said about Billy Graham in the early years, uh, he didn't take much of a salary, never actually through the ministry anyways, took much of a salary. He ended up making some money towards the end of his life, the last part of it on his books and things like that. But he really, in the time when televangelists were getting very wealthy and and uh, in a way that was terrible, uh, he maintained integrity that way and really uh, lived humbly as much as he could. In those, in those early years especially, and many years, he drove himself to his own meetings and, and uh, flew in the coach compartments of airplanes and whatnot and those things. And I say that, again, just being mindful, not to honor certainly the man as much as to honor the God of the man, which I think was the secret. See, the Bible says here that he says, therefore, submit to God and resist the devil and he will flee from you. Right. But God gives grace to the humble. And when we are humbled and in our right place, then he is exalted. And that's one thing that I appreciated in just reading about uh, uh, Billy Graham today. Uh, more and more of his attitude throughout the years. He was like any of us, you know, said a few things he wished he hadn't and things like that. But for generally speaking, he really stayed out of politics. He stayed out of a political message from the podium or pulpit. Uh, He did not fall into a lot of those traps that so many of us are easily, you know, swayed into and our message gets off task and he kept it simple by just saying God called me to preach the gospel and that's what he he focused on to the criticism of some and to the joy of others but he focused on the gospel. I think that's should be the attitude that a Christian has is that Lord, I don't know where I am today exactly in the scope of uh power, and influence and all that but I do know this that you are the one that I have to submit to and make sure that I'm I'm humble in that area. And again, to pray that the Lord uh, uh, keeps us delighting in those opportunities to do that. Uh, as I know, and, and many of you have experienced it as well, sometimes being a servant, just doing something that nobody even maybe hears about, uh, goes a lot further than just showing up and talking to them, sharing the gospel with them, right? Uh, I do believe that God... Delights in those that have to depend upon him in that. I read an illustration of uh, Booker T. Washington, and he was um, a very influential African American uh, man, uh, educator, uh, a very smart man. And he had the council of, he was an advisor to several presidents from 1880 to 1915 and a man that uh, certainly had a great influence on the times of his day. He was asked to take the presidency of the Tuskegee Institute, now Tuskegee University in Alabama, and shortly after he arrived there as their president, he was out shopping one night, uh, in the evening anyways, and As he was walking along the street, a a white woman, a very wealthy woman in the town, came up to him and asked him if she could hire him to go chop some wood. And uh, he he said, well, I'd be happy to. He didn't have anything else to do. And so he rolled up his sleeves and he went and he chopped a bunch of firewood for her and she paid him a little bit for it. and, And then he left. When he left, the daughter... Uh, of the household there said to her mom do you know who that man is he's the president of the Tuskegee Institute and all that that's Booker T. Washington well she was tremendously embarrassed that she had asked this man to do that and she went the next day and apologized greatly and he said oh I'm always I'm always wanting to help a friend you know and he shook her hand like that. that's I thought that was a good attitude well we need more of that don't we uh, in, in that and Anyways, that woman later became a wealthy donor. (laughs) By the way, influenced a lot of people to donate to the Tuskegee Institute. So it helps (laughs) directly in those things. But a lot of those borne out by a Christian uh, attitude. And and, um, Booker T. Washington came from that perspective as well. The next thing is fight back. Take an E, but fight back. I like this one. He says, therefore, submit to God and then resist the devil and he will flee from you. Uh, There are times where we are told to flee you know from the devil and to do that but there's also times like here james says resist resist i I think too often the language of the heart that comes out of believers um, attitudes anyways is submit to the devil you know it's just too hard to fight well i do think we need to fight we need to fight him on every uh front you know in our spiritual walk it starts with the proper perspective of who God is and putting ourselves in that, that place, humbling ourselves and realizing, God, with you, I, I can withstand the devil. Uh, and I can, you know, it doesn't matter what it is. And as he's told his disciples, as they're uh, standing there and he talks about, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And there are times when we stand alone. There are times when we do not, uh, feel like uh, there 's many others around us in that, but yet God is there, and the devil has to flee has to flee uh, that 's an aspect of our, our spiritual warfare that I think um, could be honed in on in these maybe in these quiet months when you 're stuck inside and say lord uh, i need to I need to have some special emphasis in this area of my life of resisting the devil, resisting evil, fight back a little bit and I can tell you this, that that isn't just a blanket statement to say fight back. Uh, those that uh, in the physical realm are fighters, you think of that, they, those that go out, you know, whether they're, they're people who serve in military or, you know, some police officer who can step in and, and jump into the middle of a fight and bring peace to, to the situation or something like that, they're people that have to train for that. They don't just say, oh, I'm going to go fight. That kind of guy usually doesn't do it very well. Um, but i would say this that for the believer we certainly our warfare is not of this earth but it is a spiritual warfare and we need to be honing our skills learning scripture uh, memorizing things my wife has been after me lately to uh, do more of that here you know learn scripture more and have our kids learn scripture and and it's not that hard uh, just rehearsing things it's like picking something up and and learning how to use it right um, whether it be a tool or a weapon or whatever, it's when you look at the scriptures, you just have to be familiar with it and do it. Fight back uh, in doing that. Well, we also have to draw near. That's the next thing he says: draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. I like that promise. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. I have found out in my Christian walk that that's sometimes the hardest part. Um, someone put it this way it's you can be in close proximity to somebody but not intimate and it's like almost a, a marriage relationship if you think of a husband and a wife that they they may live under the same roof and they may sleep in the same bed and they may be really close but in proximity but not necessarily intimate or close and that's not healthy and somebody would say that isn't that isn't the way it should be you know uh, and the same thing had happened with our relationship with the Lord. We can say, "I am. I'm in church. I have my Bible tonight. I'm, you know, I'm taking notes. I'm doing this. I'm going to there. I got that latest book." But are we are we being intimate with the Lord in a spiritual sense? He says, "If you draw him near to me, I'll draw near to you." Um, the other question is, if God isn't near us, who moved? <laughs> uh, who moved, you know, not God, we moved, and uh, somebody, uh, I remember years ago, uh, talking to a, a friend, he had, he had backslidden quite, quite badly, I guess, or backslidden quite well, if you want to look at it that way, and he had done some terrible things, and I was sitting with him trying to encourage him to repent and come back, and, and he said, I just don't, I don't, I don't sense God at all in my life anymore, and I said, well, where'd you leave him, you know, God's here, and he's all around us, but you know what? He'll not strive with us always. He'll not he'll not interject himself sometimes in ways that, you know, are very obtrusive. He just will let us do our own thing. And you know what? All you need to do is go back. Repent and go back to Him. Draw near to God. And by the way, that's a it starts in the heart. That's really where it begins. Number four, clean up. Clean up. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. I don't like that verse. (laughs) I'm honest with you. I don't like that verse because he's saying, cleanse your heart, Jack Karen. Cleanse your heart, every one of us. And you know, one of the things about someone that I think can, that, that really can be energized spiritually it always begins with an understanding of how bad we are all right Uh, rc Sproul, who uh, i don't often quote because i don't line up with all his some of his calvinism that he promoted but uh, he was a dear man of god Uh, went home to be with the lord back uh, last year not many months ago and and i always appreciated anything i ever read from him appreciated his view on god god was big and he always looked at himself as a greater sinner than he probably was. <laughs> Actually, he really was a sinner, like all of us, but, you know, that way. But he always came across in everything he said and wrote and everything as understanding that, that sin is great, and we really don't even begin to sense the, ex- the extent of our sin and our sinfulness. And, and when we do, it makes us want to clean up light shines into a dark corner and you see the dust and you see the things that need to be cleaned out. Sometimes it's bigger things than dust, right? Spiritually. Clean your hands. Sometimes our hands get dirty, don't they? I'm thankful though that the Lord is able to purify our hearts and take the double-minded person and make them a single-minded person. And part of that is just, is again, what we think on is what will be, all right? And we live in a world that certainly is contrary. It's always after our minds in every way. And yet, uh, that's the way, you know, he wants us to to work on that. Um, The book of Hosea, we used this verse here once when we were going through the book of Hosea. He writes here, the Lord says, Sow for yourselves righteousness, all right? What you sow, you reap, right? So sow for yourself righteousness. Reap in mercy. I love that. You want mercy? Well, you better sow righteousness. Break up your fallow ground. That is a command. That's not an option or a a statement that he's saying, well, you know, you might want to. He's saying, no, break up your fallow ground. It implies two things. That there's fallow ground that needs to always be broken right? And that it's possible to break it up. We get hard-hearted, uh, and it's easy to get hard-hearted. I, I live in a world that seems like there's so much death, and destruction, and hurt, and and relationships that are broken, and impurity, and all these different things that come at you, and sometimes it's easy just to say, I don't want to hear it anymore, tune it out, and it doesn't exist, and that's not true. <laughs> Instead, we have to say, Lord... Allow me to, to be able to, to talk with people in a way that shows your righteousness and your mercy and your grace and, and some empathy, some heart that is a little bit in tune with where you are, Lord. What breaks your heart should break mine. And I find as I get older, it's harder to break up the ground sometimes. And we need it, though. He says, for it is time to seek the Lord till he comes and rains righteousness on you. Uh, I like that because, again, he, uh, he tells us, you know, we need to get serious about this is really what it is. And that goes with this. When you talk about uh, clean up, but then um, make sure that after you, you clean up that you get serious with God. He says, lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. That sounds like a, a terrible verse, right? That'd be Eeyore's life verse, all right? <laughs> if you ever read the Winnie the Pooh series here with you, whatever. You know, let lament and mourn and weep. And let if there's any joy, oh, let it be turned to mourning. And really, he's not, and I'm glad that's not the only verse in the Bible, by the way. Some people, they do make that their life goal, is that's all. They won't smile, I won't laugh, I won't have a good time. I'm not going to you know, ever do anything that gives me any humor or anything like that. And I think uh, that's not healthy, okay? But where in the context of this passage is, and remember, we're just preceding this, is to understand sin and to look to clean up. And sometimes we have to come to a place where we're so frustrated we just stop and we mourn over it. And we say, Lord, this isn't the way you intended it, and I need to clean up. I need to get serious, in other words. Not just say it, but do it. And that's, that's a little harder. And that, that's really what he's talking about there, is to get serious about sin and about what sin is, is about. We really need to understand that as big-time sinners, we need a big-time Savior. And when we come to that perspective of understanding that that life is filled with very many serious things, and, and it is. Uh, I, I think that's one of the the detriments to our modern society here. We've eliminated a lot of uh, uh, discomforts until something really big happens. You know, the doctor says it's terminal or, you know, you get the papers in the mail and it says your wife has left you or something like that. All of a sudden, that is when people stop and say, "Wow, life is really serious." And the, the problems I thought were problems were not. And and really, that's that's where we need to be is looking at the big things. I think and understanding that they're there. Now the little things too, but but looking at serious matters. I'm amazed at who we elevate today in our, in our world as heroes and who we ignore, you know, just in our priorities of people, you know, a person can be a celebrity, famous because maybe they memorized some lines somewhere and whatever they say is absolutely, you know, what everybody has to do but yet, somebody who goes out and works a life you know, at a paper mill or something like that, where they've been faithful their whole life and, and worked hard and has learned really what life is about, you know, a lot of things like that They won't get quoted, you know, those kind of things. And I'm not saying that just because I know some of you here are from that background, but I just know this. We don't always appreciate what really are serious things out there, what life is really about. The last verse, and I just want to look at this one, is humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up the last piece of advice really is to keep humble or to stay low it's easy sometimes to come to a point where you say well I I did my deed for the the day and was humble in my way I did it it's harder to stay in that position by the way it's not a natural thing to remain on your knees and I don't think you have to remain on your knees to pray but it's a good posture I think it helps remind us that we uh, who we really are and and i don 't not advocate necessarily so you have to pray on, on your knees or or lay down on your face or anything like that that does not necessarily make you more spiritual, but the humble attitude that may be behind it is and I think of that that 's just like physically it 's never comfortable to be in a position like on your knees, especially on a hard floor. I remember years ago, as we had a a, a team going out in Ukraine, we were going to had a little church planting team and it was being sent out by one of the churches and i was part of that with a group of missionaries and uh ukrainian nationals who were on that team and we had a church service to dedicate the team and pastor asked us to come up and to kneel on the floor uh on the concrete floor and he prayed over us for 25 minutes and i can just remember my knees were killing me and you know i had nothing to lean against and you're right solid on your knees and i thought lord uh Really, it says a lot about my my uh, probably prayer posture. I need to train more in that area. But regardless of the physical uh, thing, I thought of it. Isn't that like our, our prayer life sometimes? We say, oh, it's just that's a little too long. Uh, you know, two or three minutes, that's enough. Or, you know, and again, it's not length. I'm not trying to say it. It's the attitude behind it. Sometimes a short prayer can be said and it says far more than someone who goes on for half an hour but at the same time I think we could exercise our spiritual walk and say Lord I need to pray more not just when people are around but when it's just me and you Lord no one else sees it uh, are you are you praying as you should uh, and I'm I'm speaking to the, the people that came tonight thank you very much you know for being here but I say that because we need to stay low it's too easy to just to stand up again and to walk away unchanged, right? And too often that's the way, way people are. I really think we need to have a right perspective of who God is and a right perspective of who we are. And when you have those two perspectives correct, God will do powerful things. Let's pray. Our Father, we are, again, just thankful tonight that we can even open up the Word of God. And Lord, as we're reminded that you're the one that delights in being lifted up. I pray tonight we would lift you up in our prayers and not because you need our prayers, Lord, but rather we need to come alongside of you and and know your will and Lord, you promised you'd give it to us, and I pray for not only our church here and those that are present and those that aren't, and the various activities that we have and but the other area churches lord and I think of um, the believers who are scattered throughout this valley and throughout our world tonight. And Lord, I, I ask that as God's people pray, you would be pleased to do mighty things and you would be exalted above all. And we commit this time and the time to follow here to you in Jesus name. Amen.